This is the Sea to Sky podcast with Alan, weaving through the issues in Sea to Sky country. Hello and welcome to another Sea to Sky podcast. We're in Whistler today. I'm on my own. It's just Alan. Alan Forsyth talking to Ralph Forsyth. No relation, by the way. So thanks for joining us, Ralph. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Thanks, Alan. And true, in true Whistler style, he rode here on his bike. We're at Crank Cafe, so please ignore some of the ambient sound. It used to be the Piccolo Cafe. If you remember, we interviewed uh, Mariev a few months ago. She's moved on. But today we're talking to Ralph, who wants to run for Whistler Council, and you've been on council before. I served two terms, six years. There were three-year terms back in the day, and we can... If the chat intersects with that, I can uh, give you the lowdown on my opinion on four-year terms. In any case, I served two three-year terms from 2005 to 2011. And then I got my butt handed to me in the uh, 2011 mayor's race. So I've been out since then. You've been out since then, and you decided that take another shot at the council race, perhaps thinking, what, we need some more experience on council, or? I think so. I think it would be helpful. And not just experience, but relevant experience. So we're here at Cranked, and it's in a beautiful neighborhood, view of the mountains, and this neighborhood didn't exist in 2005. Now, if I'm not mistaken, you voted in favor of this subdivision, actually. That's right, Rainbow, Chequemus Crossing. Right. Chequemus Crossing, which hasn't been without its problems, but the first board meeting that I went to as a counselor in 2005, we decided that Chequemus Crossing was gonna be a neighborhood and not temporary. People forget that, that the original plan was to build temporary athletic athletes housing. Temporary housing for athletes. That was the original plan. And we decided, no, no, no. This is a golden opportunity to, you know, break the the back of the big issue that's plagued Whistler for 40 years, forever. And we did. You know what? In 2011... People were calling for our hides on council. I remember that well. But you know what? Rents were rents were coming down. There was lots of accommodation. People weren't struggling. Families could look forward to owning a home. And now that's not the case. Yeah. Well, that and that was probably for a brief shining moment. Actually, that sort of post-Olympic hangover where prices came down. I mean, when you look at house prices, you think, okay, what's causing this? So I'll tell you a story. Two years ago, my wife and I were in a place in our lives where we were thinking, we can buy a home. We have a condo, and we'd like to buy a single-family home. And within a year, we would get an email every week for homes for under a million dollars. Dream come true, right? A ski instructor is going to buy a house for a million bucks. Man, I never thought I'd be so lucky. And so within a year, uh, those emails changed from one uh, single family homes to one bedroom condos and that's what you get for under a million dollars yeah then you ask yourself well how, how do we get there so you have huge demand who doesn't want to live here very little inventory and historically low interest rates and then combine that with a housing bubble down in Vancouver Bangal Presto that's why you got two million dollar teardowns in Whistler the reason for me this time around is so that we don't catch ourselves flat-footed again you know we've had seven years and not built a lick of housing and now we're back where we were in 2005 and i think gee whiz you know you can't be you can't be caught flat-footed on that i mean all the monitoring that we do and we have census data how can we be caught and the school district is caught out as well oh we didn't know there were going to be so many kids well gee whiz people yeah oh look at the data it's not rocket science here now okay it's no secret that housing not just for whistler i mean 
in Vancouver that's all they're talking about, in Squamish that's all they're talking about. I don't maybe Pemberton. It's probably not quite as bad in Pemberton, but I mean, and as you say, it's where are we? And I think the biggest problem is, is where are we going to put employees? I mean, all these small businesses. A you can't have a community without small businesses, and small businesses can't exist without employees, and they have no place to live. I, how, I don't know. How do we solve the problem? Hey, build more housing. It's really simple. Okay, People seem confounded by this. Right, okay, but how? The way, how we, the way Whistler has from? successfully done it for years, since the start of the WHA in 96 or 97, whenever that was, you partner with developers who want to build housing, and they're zoned for let's say four single family houses on a lot, and you say, hey, we'll give you some bonus density, and we'll do two single families, market, and you build us eight duplexes for housing authority. Okay, but where, Those partnerships where, 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 where are they gonna be built? Oh my God, there's more, there's parcels of land all over. You just look at a map. You get out a map and say, hey, Where's, where's a good parcel where we could do that? I mean, developers, look at you know some of the stuff that's already, uh, it's unpopular right now is the stuff in Creekside, but there was that parcel you know, that you could have done easily uh, across from Nestor's, you know? Yeah. So we're still waiting on those. And you know, those are those are ones on a highway, right? Yeah. You go a little further afield, I'm sure you can find some parcels to develop. Yeah. So, I mean, how many bed units are we talking about? A thousand, two thousand, five thousand? When we adopted Whistler 2020, uh, again, 2006, 2007, when we did that, the number we had batted around the council table was 15,000 people by 2020. I remember having uh, that conversation with, um, with uh, Gordon McKeever, God, God rest his soul. And we thought, yeah, 15,000 seems about the carrying capacity of the resort. It seems about where the demand would be. Not everybody, we love it here, but not everybody's gonna wanna, you know, I don't think we're ever gonna become Burnaby and have 200,000 people living here. I think that's safe to say, yeah. But 15,000 by 2020, I thought was the number. And you look at our current rate and we're on pace to do that. So that's still, that's still a thousand units below the bed cap, which is at 61.5 in the new uh, OCP. Okay, so there's there's definitely room for growth there. Why isn't it getting done? I don't know. <laughs> Inertia. I guess, I guess that's why you're running for council. That's why I'm running for council. And, you know, I remember, we'll get back to this four-year term. I think in the fourth year of a term, people are so used to a three-year term, the fourth year just sort of runs out of steam. You know, people are like, oh, it takes two years to get uh, up to speed. It doesn't. It takes about six weeks. If you've got someone who's prepared and knows what they're doing, okay. it takes about six weeks to figure out how to be a city councillor. It's not complicated. I did it. <laughs> so... The change to a four-year term, and I remember fighting it at UBCM way back in 2010, and it was uh, Tim Stevens from Vancouver, and it was all big city city councillors who thought it would be just great to have to campaign less and just be permanent full-time politicians. And all the Saul communities rallied and defeated it. Those guys have been in the era of the Premier for ages. And then guess what happens? A couple years later, well, the Premier did it anyways, because those people were in the era of them. So that's my rant on a four-year term. Yeah, well, no, and the last year ends up being a year of inertia. I'm glad you brought it up, actually. And I do want to talk about that because I think, you know, we got 20 people running for council. And do you think that a lot of these people are biting off more? I mean, four years council. Council is, I mean, it's part-time pay. Well, no, the pays in Whistler is actually pretty good for the corridor. 
but still, it is it is pretty much a full-time job. I mean, there's a lot of reading, there's a lot of responsibility, and it's for four years. Do you think a lot of these people are just they're biting off more than they can chew? I think in a lot of cases, you know, people, hey, they, they just think, oh, it's like a bucket list. Oh, I'm gonna run for council. Maybe I'll win, maybe I won't. I think there's probably eight serious candidates in the race uh, with the relevant experience and know-how. The number one question I would encourage any of your listeners to ask any candidate, how fast can they read? <laughs> so that's there's a, a lot of reading, I know. There's yeah. a lot of reading, and it's a very telling uh, thing. If you can read pretty quickly, then you can do it. Because some of these agenda packs run into the hundreds of pages. Oh yeah, we had 1,100, 900 page oh, wow. packages. I mean, we were doing a lot of development at the, at the time, right? When you think back between 2005 and 2011, Rainbow, Athletes Village, Fitz Walk, uh, those were pretty big, plus all the stuff that we were doing for, to get ready for the Olympics. Yeah. Okay, let me ask you another question. Um, transportation, that's kind of a big issue where increasingly more people are commuting throughout the quarter. As, as it's hard to find, I mean, ideally people want to live, obviously live and work in Whistler, but that's, you know, that's increasingly becoming a problem. There used to be a commuter bus between Squamish and Whistler. Um, Jack has said he would like to work on regional transportation. Where do you stand on that? Regional transportation is a good idea. The reality is it's really expensive and it kind of drives me crazy when politicians say that transit is the next big thing and transit is, you know, so important. I agree that it's important, but we need to be honest with taxpayers about what it costs. Whistler Transit is $6 million that comes out of the Whistler budget annually. And that's, that's half because BC Transit picks up the other half. That's a lot of money for a town of 10,000 people. So listen, do I think people should be getting killed on the highway coming back late at night or early in the morning from their jobs at the, at the hotels from either Squamish or Pemberton? Absolutely not. Do we need something? 100%. Where's the responsibility gonna lie for who's gonna pay for it though? That's, that's the crux. And there's only one taxpayer. So if it's the province, then it's the province. And if it's us, then it's us. But yeah, I want some, I want some realistic answers on how you pay for it all. Right. Um, and then amenities, sort of, again, sort of looking at, you know, the whole package, the bigger picture, what would you like to see? I mean, what would be on your wish list of amenities? I know a lot of people would like to see a second ice sheet. I don't think that's going to happen, but I could be wrong. Um, what would be on your wish list of amenities? And I mean, again, how would we pay for them? That's a good question that I hadn't really thought about. I hadn't thought about amenities. It doesn't... There's nothing that I see that strikes me as, wow, we really need that. You know, the skate park improvements, kudos to the council that did that investment at the skate park. Because I remember for a while, I was like, wow, that's a really expensive thing, but it's a nice to have. I'm glad that we went ahead with the, the soccer field in, uh, in Chequemus Crossing. So as far as amenities, I don't, I don't see a whole lot. Things that I really love are the things that, you know, personally, I enjoy. I know thousands of other people do too, but things like Lord of the Squirrels and building those trails that they have out to sprout from there. Those are the kinds of things that I, uh, that I support, that I like, it's non-mechanized, it's low impact. So those are the kind of things that, uh, that I favor. Yeah, I guess, I mean, Whistler does have a huge advantage over a lot of communities in that we are a resort community and so much is done on the mountain. I mean, the kids ski, they're mountain biking on the trails. So yeah, there isn't this huge demand for amenities that you see in other communities. So that's one advantage. But in terms of 
making Whistler, I don't know, more affordable or more desirable, desirable for families? What beyond the housing problem? What can you do as a local politician? Uh, there's daycare as well, which had been a long been a cause of mine. I had kids in daycare. It's no less important to me now that my kids are, you know, one's done high school, the other one's in high school. Things change, but it's still, again, back to problems that have plagued us for 40 years, it's still an issue. So I think you have to work with community partners, big employers, medium-sized employers, to find the space necessary. And the crux of it is, and this is one thing that I think a lot of people don't realize, it's not just the space. It's working with the province, and the feds to have some kind of universal childcare standard. I'm not saying a bucket loads of money on a universal childcare across the country, just some kind of standard education. So if you're a young person who has an ECE from Ontario, it could take you up to six months to get certified in British Columbia. <laughs> that just doesn't work. So we need some kind of, and put pressure on the, on the feds and the province to come up, and it doesn't even require a legislative change, to come up with something that makes it easier for us to hire people to work at daycares. Um, you know, just I'm switching gears a little bit here. Uh, it's recently been announced by the IOC that if Calgary gets the 2026 Winter Olympics, oh, Calgary, ski jumping could be held in Whistler. Yeah, why not? Why wouldn't we? You know, the Olympics. I feel sorry for the people who really poo-pooed the Olympics and didn't enjoy the time that we had here. To me, that was the best Whistler has ever been. It was an amazing we time. We welcomed the world. Yeah. People absolutely loved it. My family and I. And you know, I think about the athletes. I was at a grad party the other day, uh, beginning of the summer. There were six kids at that party who had legit shots to go to the Olympics. <laughs> that just doesn't happen if we don't host the Olympics. Right. We have a great resume of kids from Whistler going to the Olympic Games. Nine from the high school, nine were Whistler grads were in the last Olympics. But I don't know if that happens without the Olympics. So yeah, why wouldn't we host the ski jumping? I think it's a great idea. And if they need to house the athletes there, then great. That's, uh, you know, Squamish and Lillooet, I believe, have the rights to development up there. And so if they wanted to do that, they could. There's parcels available there. Well, I think the idea was that instead of because they apparently for some, I know I think the ski jumps are still there in Calgary but apparently they can't use them or whatever oh they're terrible ski jumps oh, they are they're okay. super windy there are it's freezing cold the biggest problem is the wind because it's right on the Trans Canada there and yeah I don't know if you've ever I driven, driven, driven by driven yeah, sixteen in Calgary them. yeah yeah it's very unpleasant so yeah they I don't think they would even be able to hold an event there anymore I don't think they have since eighty eight right okay so whereas ours is probably one of the best in the world because it is so sheltered yeah. Okay. Now, talking about athletics and talking about kids graduating, um, you're very familiar with that because you've been teaching skiing in Whistler for, I mean, I, I don't know how long, but it's been a while. 28, this is 20, season 28 coming up. Okay. 32 years I'll be teaching ski. I started when I was 17. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, uh, you've seen a lot of kids. You've seen a lot of uh, at Whistler athletes start off and grow up in Whistler and I guess go on to other things. Um, again, is that something that as a counselor you can help help continue? Is there any programs or any way that you can facilitate that? Or is it just growing up on Whistler and, and having access to the mountain? That's a large part of it, growing up in Whistler and having access to the mountain. Having access to the role models has been the biggest thing for my kids. You know, they 
know and have access to the Janix, to Marielle Thompson, to um, Ashley McIver. You know, they see them around town and they think, yeah, that person went to my high school. They did it. I can do it. And then they, they have acts like they can actually sit down and have a coffee with them. So I think that is a huge part of it. It's the problem right now is that those young families with kids who are aspiring to, whether it's the X Games or the Olympics or whatever their dream is, they're not finding the opportunity to build a life here. And that, again, comes back to the housing and the daycare. So when I was, you know, got married, my wife and I were in our 20s. And, you know, by the time we were 30, we had a house, thanks to the WHA. And there was opportunities for us to build our careers and to build a life here. And I don't, I'm not sure that the young people f have that sense right now. And you fix it by building more affordable housing for them to, to, to live in. And also, in terms of opportunity, is there... You know, a lot of people have talked about in the last, ever since the Olympics, that we should try and build another industry in Worcester besides tourism, and education has been one that's been talked about a lot. Uh, I guess people are looking at the success, well, the sort of success of Quest University. They had some growing pains. I guess they're, definitely they're successful now. And, they, and originally Quest was looking at Whistler before they went to Squamish. So now I think people are seeing that income generator and all the having a university in town brings to it. And of course people have talked about doing that in Whistler. How feasible do you think that is? I don't think it is at all. The original university that I heard of was in the late 90s and the council rejected it then. And then the next one that came was uh, around between 2008 and 2012. Uh, and it was more a real estate play than a university play. Yeah. You know, it was so, there's a... And so was Quest in, a lot in, in the beginning. I mean, that's how they funded. Yeah, sure. Yeah. It's a lot different, like, do university students go to Araxi for dinner? <laughs> No. I, don't, I don't think they do. So we've built an infrastructure, we've built a certain standard to our town, unless we're planning to grow a lot more, and that's beyond your 15,000, then if you're gonna plunk three or 4,000 university students in here. And then again, it's cyclical, right? So if we're going after businesses, then I'm not sure that a university has, a, has some, there's intuitive appeal to it, of course, but I'm not sure that those, that's that's what we need here because of the, because of the infrastructure that you have to build to support it. No, I tech a friend of mine, quite a good friend, built a business from scratch, sold it, it still employs a dozen people in town. That's, that's what we need more of. And he's using commercial space developed and used in Whistler. And now, is that commercial space in Function Junction? No, it's in the village. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, so he's one of the few that went the other way, yeah. went from Function uh, to, to the village. Okay. Yeah. I was hoping for a good segue into Function Junction, but... Well, the Function... I remember years ago, we had this arts guy come and make this presentation and said, oh, Function Junction should be the Soho of Whistler. And I thought, why are we encouraging tourists to go down there? There's no sidewalks. And you see these people lost and looking around, almost getting run over by trucks. It's the industrial area. Yeah. It's not meant for baby strollers. It never was. Yeah. And people say, oh, well, you have to drive everywhere in Function. That's the way it was designed. Planners designed it that way because people are going from business to business in trucks, picking up, you know, cement blocks and lumber and stuff. It was never meant to be what it is. Now, the project that I was in favor of years ago was the residential building that was built in function. 
I supported because there was no alternatives at the time and we were stuck in a situation like we are now. And I was encouraging council, I wasn't on council at the time, but encouraged council to go ahead and get it developed because there was nothing else coming down the pipe. Now, does that change everything in function? You bet, because now there are mums and with strollers and they're by the dump trucks. Yeah. Uh, so, so, I mean, something's got to give. My understanding is there's going to be some line painting, something like that down in function. But yeah, we need to recognize that those are, those are, it's a commercial zone, right? Light industrial, in fact. Uh, I mean, a town does need some light industrial. I mean, even, even a resort Every, community. Even a resort town needs some light industrial. Yeah. And, and you know, that's why I'm also, I was in favor and pretty appalled that the council didn't approve those small developments above Mons. Because those aren't like function. That's right on the valley trail. So it's not like they would be negotiating heavy equipment and machinery. It's mostly storage there, right? And buses, they're all fenced off and yeah. all where the houses would be were right on the valley trail. So, you know, those mixed use uh, scenarios are, they're difficult to negotiate, but when you're between a rock and a hard place, sometimes you have to pursue those. Yeah, it seems to me just based on experience that when, the, when you create these mixed use, and then you have this huge gray area, well, therein lies the problem. They, you start to you, know, you start to get more housing, and you get and then once more people live there, then they're like, well, they want you know they want cafes and shops, and all of a sudden you got a residential area, and then they start complaining about the industrial. And uh, I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's happened in Vancouver. It's happened. It's happened in a lot of different communities. It's funny because the one place that it seems to work is Granville Island. You know, every time you go down there, you're like, oh, I'm going to go to the market. And then you're like, oh, man, there's a cement mixing plant here. <laughs> yeah, but no one, there, you know, except for the float homes, no one lives in Granville Island. True, true. You Lots know, of traffic, but no one's really living down there. They, yeah, it empties out pretty yeah. fast. Yeah, so yeah. that's a big difference. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. you know, when you think about the Callahan, I was a huge proponent of building the Athletes Village there. You got a road that the province built and paid for. You got pristine land. You don't need to move... The sewage treatment plant, the landfill, uh, or the asphalt plant. It all would have been up, up there by a beautiful cross-country ski trail network. Uh, so, I mean, I don't think that I don't think that, that land's going to stay undeveloped forever. I think that... Yeah, I was going to ask you. So, Squamish having said, said, ha, yeah, having said that, would you like to extend the boundaries of Whistler and find new places to build residential there? That is within the boundary and subject to... Oh, is it okay? I yeah, yeah, that's... RD. Yeah, okay. no, that's part of our boundary. That's the OCP and that's the that was the sticking point in the last iteration of the OCP, right? Okay. Because any development would be subject to the approval of the RMOW. Why shouldn't First Nations have an opportunity to develop there and have some economic development for themselves? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's only fair, right? Yeah. And th that was the parcel they took as a condition of the uh, four-party, um, four-host nations agreement with uh, Vanon. And speaking of the SLRD, um, with if you are elected within the next four years, what confrontations, if any, or or conflicts or negotiations do you foresee having with the SL SLRD? I want to fight them just because I don't like them. <laughs> <laughs> you really want to say that publicly? Yeah. <laughs> no, I think the relationship has been pretty harmonious. I know Jack's been on that uh, yeah, SLRD yeah. board for seven years now and doing a good job. I suppose the big one is transportation, which we talked about before. we got to get the funding model right so that it's shared equally between the three parties and anyone else. I mean, those outlying, we always forget about areas 
A and D, right, at the at the pole ends yeah. of the SRD, you know? Goes all the way to Little Wet and all the way to Little Wet. We forget right? about Little Wet. We, yeah. we forget about those guys. Yeah. So there's got to be some kind of uh, funding mechanism that works for all of us. What that is, I don't know. I'd be lying if I told you otherwise. But yeah, transit's, transit's the big uh, the big nut to crack there. Okay. And just, just to uh, finish up, tell me, you've been here, you've been in Whistler for the last... 30 plus years, is it? Whistler since 91. Since 91, okay. 28 well, years. Still, yeah, almost 30 almost years. Almost 30 years. In that time, what have you seen? It's been a lot of changes in that time. Uh, I can remember Whistler 91 too. Um, what have you seen that you liked, that you like, and what have you seen that you would have done differently? There was a time there in the late 90s when things happened really fast and things got developed too quickly, and so well, you can the expansion of the whole the, the village, the it village doubled there, in size, yeah. it doubled in size in like a summer, yeah. and that's why you have things like when you go by the McDonald's, there's a you have to they have to rope it off, and by the Patagonia store there, yeah, uh, you got to rope it off because it was poorly designed, right? Right. So that's what happens when you try and open a fire hose on development applications and just approve everything all at once. So. As much as I'm in a rush to see housing built, I don't want to see it built if it's not going to be, it's not going to be done properly. So that's that's one thing. I think largely though, Whistler's done a lot of things right. You know, again, I would have built the Athletes Village in the Chekmas, but or in the oh, Callahan. Yeah, Callahan, yeah, in the Callahan. Uh, but I think largely we've done things pretty well, and that is testament to the partners, like the guys on the WDC board who volunteered their time. I'm not sure what happened there. It seemed pretty unceremonious that they were, uh, that that board collapsed. But it's partnership, and those guys on that board were responsible for many of the excellent developments in the community, where, where I live, for example. So I think when you have partners like that and participants in the community who live here and work here, uh, then that's when everything comes together and it's great. One thing too that I'll, I remember the hell we went through when we built the Olympic Plaza. And there were protests and they were calling us names and how awful it well, was. Well, that, that was originally, it was going to be an ice rink and then it wasn't going to be an ice rink. It was going to be an ice rink and then it wasn't going to be an ice rink. Now it's a beautiful park where guests and residents get down and enjoy themselves together. And to me, that's the hallmarks of success of Whistler. When I'm doing something that the guest is doing and we're both beside each other having a great time, that's when it works best. When it becomes asymmetrical and it's too much about the guest, too much about the local, then it doesn't work. But it's projects like that where it, when we all come together, that's, that's what's special to me about Whistler. Okay. And now for people, if they want to find out more about you, where can they read up? Where's your website? Just go ahead, give us your information. RalphForsyth.com, R-A-L-P-H-F-O-R-S-Y-T-H.com. Everything's there. All my policy, everything I've written over the last few years, links to all my social media channels. Social media channels are all the same name, Ralph Forsyth. And so I'm you're on, on all Twitter, them. you're on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, okay. and a Facebook page as well. Okay. Facebook page, Ralph Forsyth for Counselor 2018. Uh, no, Ralph Forsyth. Okay. All the same. Okay. All the same name. Got it. Well, Easy to find. Okay. And it's not like I'm not accessible. If you see me at Nestor's, come and talk to me. You see me ride my bike. Let's have a chat. Okay. You heard it here, folks. If you want to talk to Ralph and you see him around, just go up and talk to him. He's, he's inviting you to do so. 
Thanks to Ralph for sitting down with us, and thanks to Crank Cafe here on Rainbow for hosting this interview. And until next time, this has been the Sea to Sky Podcast. This is the Sea to Sky Podcast. If you have a comment or story ideas, please check out our website at seataskypodcast.com or on Facebook and Twitter at Sea to Sky Podcast. Thank you for clicking us on.